Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this amazing story. This story of transformation. This story of lives transformed. Tonight, Lord, transform our understanding. Transform our will. Transform our lives, I pray. Amen. So you have pieces of paper. If you don't have pieces of paper, John's wandering around with pieces of paper and pens. He's, he's got rid of them already. Um, so you have to share. You, can, you don't need much paper. You can uh, tear it into two and share with a neighbor. I want you in a group to answer me one very simple question. Are you ready? How many people were affected by the healing of blind Bartimaeus. How many people were affected by the healing of blind Bartimaeus? Two minutes, go. You may confer. Okie dokie, I've had two suggested answers. Would anybody like to uh, offer me an answer? Sorry, uh, Alex, can I have a handheld? Two, two. Uh, the disciples. And how many were there? And a great crowd. A you great. mean how many disciples? Yeah, how many people was the question. His disciples okay. and a great crowd. Yeah. Anybody got any more answers on this one? Lots. Lots, says Abby. Would you like to um, sort of unpack this? So we said that actually anyone who's read that Bible story could have been impacted by that miracle. So we didn't really have a number to put on it. I've already banned John for that answer, uh, but I better not ban the kids' pastor. And whilst I was here, I've actually forgotten to tell you who I am. Um, my name is Julie, and uh, yeah, that's me. Um, right, anybody got a different answer to that, to lots, or what have you got? Well, in my view, 2.5 billion, that's the total number of Christians worldwide, because it was passed down over the time. Okay. My husband has got a different figure. He's... No, we, we, we kind of extended on that, because that's 2.5 billion at the moment, but then we had all the previous Christians from since... The Bible, since that story happened. Okie dokie. I hate it when he gets that look of I'm right. I'm placed on the same train of thought as them. Yeah? I was on multi-billion because... Multi-billion. 34 to 40 billion. Oh, hang on. The vicar's got the definitive answer. I didn't actually hear the question. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how many people were affected by the healing of blind Bartimaeus? Hmm, good question. <laughs> Sorry, I'm short on my steps today. I needed to move around a bit. So, how many? So, yes, I thought, yeah, we start off with Bartimaeus. Or, um, he was Bart this morning, so I thought he might be Tim this afternoon. So I'm calling him Tim. Um, Jesus, which everybody's failed to mention, was affected by that healing. The disciples from Laura we've already had, particularly the gospel writers, and this story appears in three gospels. It appears in Mark, Luke, and Matthew. The people watching, 
You've all told me about the Christians down the ages, but you've actually not told me about the story. Um, Those who told him to stop shouting were affected by it. His friends who used to help him to the gate every day. The folk who gave him money. Those who saw him every day. The other beggars, his family and friends. The church throughout the world, when I googled it, it, apparently in 2010 it was 2.2 billion. So, yeah, we multiply that up. Um, And did you know that's one-third of the world's population were Christians in 2010? And us today. I'm fighting a losing battle with this, aren't I? Go up and down and up and down. All these people were changed. We are changed. Just think for a minute about how you have been changed by reading for this Bible story. Can you remember the first time you heard it? Can you remember acting it out in Sunday school? Can you remember acting it out in youth group in a modern variation? How did it change you? I don't want to repeat what Ron said this morning because I know that some of you were there. But some of it has to be said again. And the first thing about that story is that the man wanted to be changed. He didn't want to stay the same. He wasn't pulled to Jesus like the man who came on the stretcher and was let down through the roof. He was shouting. And when he was told to shut up, Jesus had already heard and said, what's going on? That man wanted his life to be changed. When Jesus called him, he threw off the beggar's cloak, that thing which was the tool of his trade that marked him out as a beggar and where the coins would collect. And he went to see Jesus. Ron highlighted this morning that he had to change a lot. That he existed in, as Ron put it, a comfortable darkness. It was comforting. And suddenly this man was brought into the light. A bit like one of you walking from the dark that's there up to here. It's a different perspective, it's a different view. This man wanted to make the change. But what a change it was. I wonder how he would have felt when he got up the next day. Would he know what to do? For years, he'd been getting up, getting dressed without being able to see, and maybe being led by friends or family to that spot where he sat and begged for money. It takes 21 times to make a habit. That's why Ro told us to read our Bible for three weeks and to pray for three weeks, because you get into the habit. And this man had been doing it for years. Now, those of you that are sitting with your legs crossed, could you cross them the other way? 
How does it feel? Weird. <laughs> okay, says Laura, she's obviously ambidextrous and can do it both ways. But for some of us, okay, cross your arms. Now cross them the other way. Oh, no, it's really hard. That's, you can practice it. Keep you awake all the way through the sermon, crossing it the other way. We get comfortable with what we know, and yet this man wanted to change. He changed his worldview. This man that was sitting at the gate could now stand up. He could go and mingle with the crowd. This man who'd been judged a sinner, he'd done something wrong. That's why he was being punished by God. That's why he was blind. And maybe even his parents were punished too. He was no longer punished. Because the God who everybody said had punished him had shown favor to him and had healed him. He could be part of the action. He was no longer on the edge. He was the center of attention. From, oh, we can't talk to him, it was, yes, we've got to talk to him. We've got to find out his story. He was the celebrity of the hour. I wonder, did he ever regret it? Did he ever want to go back to his quiet life? But it's not just him. It's everybody else that was affected. Jesus was affected by that healing. We know that when the woman was, when he was walking through the crowds and a woman wanted to be healed, she touched his cloak and it said that he felt power go out of him. So it's reasonable to suppose that in this instant too, power went out of him. Jesus was changed. He felt weaker maybe, or he felt stronger. But he was changed. He wasn't unaffected. The disciples who'd been going out, following Jesus to Jerusalem, well, they were maybe a bit inconvenienced. They'd hoped to get there before nightfall, and this had just taken a lot more time. Were they built up by this story? As Ron said this morning, the things that we see build up our faith. As Laura said, that miracle of feeding the 5,000 built up their faith. This was setting the disciples up for something. This was persuading them. It just wasn't a fluke. It was giving them more evidence. And maybe for them it, it made the whole security thing around Jesus even bigger because more people wanted to be healed. The clamoring. What about the rest of those that are watching? Maybe those that he said, don't bother him. How were they changed? Was their view changed? Did they stop thinking, oh, blind people bad, to, oh, yeah, Jesus likes them. It must be okay, or at least it's different. Did it make them think, 
Did it give them new hope that they could have something that they wanted? What about his family that had looked after him for years? Suddenly, this miracle. Suddenly, he was different. And I wonder about his family that were to come. You've all got older family or you've had older family and you know that they love to tell stories. How many times did he tell this story? How many times did he dine out on this story and change the people through the world? His friends, well, their routine changed. They didn't have to take him to the gate every day. Those that gave him money. Well, who am I going to give to now? My normal man that I give to isn't there. And he's facilitating me being good in the eyes of the Jewish law. I'll have to go and find another beggar to give to. What about those that pass by every day and, and missed him? Maybe he was different, maybe he smiled, and now he wasn't there. What about the other beggars, their friends gone, one of their group? Maybe they were scared, he died. Maybe they didn't know what had happened to him. Maybe they were full of hope. Maybe they said, I wished, I wish I'd done that. And then the story came, and it was written down, and it was passed through the church, and it transformed lives. That man, who was seen as the lowest of the low, had the power to transform lives across the world, across time and space, in the billions. Because his story inspires because as Rose said, he didn't do dignity. He shouted. He probably had to shout because it was a crowd. And he shouted, Jesus. And Jesus called him, call him over. This man knew what he wanted and wasn't afraid to ask for it. He changed lives. Since I was a teenager, I have uh, battled with depression. Not as badly as some of you guys I know that live with it, but I have my moments, especially in the winter. And part of managing that is to learn to look at things differently. And this is how I'd like to look at things, Barney. A nice pair of pink sunglasses. In the learning and development and OD world, we call this reframing. We don't look at things one way, we put, look at it from a different angle. I know that if I get too much contact with certain people, they will bring me down. They will bring me low. I can't cope their moaning. I have to do something. Oh, I'm being waved at. John's phone's faster than everybody else. Thank you, John. Everybody's got theirs on silent, haven't they? Hasn't buzzed. Oh, here we go. Yay, it worked. Yes. 
And I'm on page three of five. That's good. <laughs> you learn better when you laugh. Did you know that? This is why. Just, just wait for a minute while everybody catches up. Yes, there's always one. <laughs> so, go back to depression. Uh, <laughs> to live with that, I've had to look at things differently. I can choose to wallow and frown, or I can choose to smile. Like my son the other day, and those of you that have got teenagers know that getting them up for school in the morning is sometimes not the easiest task. Well, mine gets up, and then he starts moaning. And, and those of you that know my son know that he can talk probably more than I can, a lot more. And uh, I don't want to go to school today. It's boring. And I got fed up. I said, well, look, you've got another seven years of it, so you're just going to have to put, put up with it. You can choose to be grumpy every day, or you can choose to think, I'm going to go and get to see my friends today. I'm going to go get to not spend the whole day with my mother moaning about cleaning my bedroom. I might actually learn something interesting. There are days when we all need to do that. When we look at life, and I look at the piles of emails, when I've got 300 emails because I haven't been at my desk all day, and think, oh, I've just got to get through it. And I have to look at it and say, okay, what are those emails going to do to change somebody's life? Because my business is about changing people's lives. It's about helping people to grow. As I changed, as I reframed my view from being, oh, these emails are boring, to these emails are important. These emails make a difference to somebody. It gave me an energy that I was lacking. If instead of looking at me, I look at others and the impact I have on them, I see a purpose for going out and talking. Transformation is not just about us. Last Sunday and this morning and every week we talk about the gospel. We talk about the difference that Jesus makes. And it's about us, but it's also about out there. And we are the people that go out there. Because this vision that we have as a church of radically transforming lives in the love and power of Jesus is not just for the people that come into church. It's not for the people that go to recovery group. It's not just for the, the staff to talk about it. It's all of our vision. So how are you radically transforming lives? How is your story transforming somebody else's life? I am not the evangelist that Roe is. I'm praying about it, but I'm not. And I recently failed, abysmally. 
I had the perfect opportunity. My next door neighbor, who is in his 2030s, we can't quite tell. Sorry? Early 30s. He's into drugs, drink, sex, very loud music. see him or when I text him to say the music's a little bit loud, he always texts back and says okay and we, we get up a very nice balancing conversation about the level of the music. And when I met him in the street recently, he said you go to church, don't you? And if it was Roe, what would she have done? She said yes, are you coming next week? Or she'd just go yes and did you know Jesus? but I bottled it. I had recently heard him arguing with the Jehovah's Witnesses, so I was sort of a bit fearful. In my head, I thought I've just got to send Dave round because he likes a good argument with Jehovah's Witnesses, or even Ed, because Ed would just out-talk him. But I failed. I didn't tell him my story. I didn't tell him about the difference Christ had made to me. I didn't tell him that the only time my parents actually said something nice about me was one day when they commented, well, you have been different so, since you went to that new church. I can pray for him. I can try and have another conversation and be prepared this time but at least he notices something in my life that is different. And when there was a ruckus in the street and we talked to him the next day, he was so scared of being judged. And he said, I, I shouldn't be telling you this, you'll think really badly of you, me. And I was able to say to him, I don't want to judge you. I'm just really sad that this is what your life is like. And there is a different way. I hope my life makes a difference. I hope I can do better. At the New Wine Leaders Conference, Chris Balaton, how am I Balaton, he was talking about churches transforming communities. And he said, you know, as Christians, we can sit around and we can talk about the fact that the end times are coming and life is getting worse. And if that's what we talk about, then the reason it's like that is it's our fault because we're not out there doing something different. And he talked about how their church are playing for, uh, paying for police officers and equipment and praying for people in supermarkets and not letting them out of supermarkets until they've prayed for them, and going to the morgue and praying for people that would be raised from the dead, putting their selves where what they believe is. Christ said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Are we ones that say to other people, what do you want us to do for you? How do you want your lives to be transformed and how can we help? Are we brave enough to do that? 
We're going to listen to some music. It's very different to the sort of music we usually listen to. I'm going to give the band a break for a minute. And as you listen to it, think about who transformed your life. Who was influential in that? And just thank God for them. And if they're still alive, make a note to go and tell them that they've transformed your life. And then start thinking, whose life do you want to transform? How are you going to tell your story? A piece of music's about three minutes long, and we'll listen to that. Thank you, Barney. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you that you have made a difference in our lives. Lord, we want to thank you that you've put people into our lives to help us be transformed. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan for us to transform the lives of others.
but Lord, we know that we need courage. We know, Lord, that we are not good at stepping out at times. That we're scared of what people will say. We're scared we don't have the right words. We're scared of what people might think. We're scared that people might laugh at us. Lord, we offer those fears to you right now. We give it to you, and we ask you to take it away from us. We ask you to replace it with a transformed heart, with a story of transformation so big and so audacious that nobody could dispute it with a need to tell others about what that change is, so big that nobody can shut us up. With the wisdom to know what to say when, for the supernatural ability to know your words, and Lord, we want to be transformed people. And we want to trans- see lives transformed through your power. I'm going to ask the band to come and lead us in some songs. And as, as they do so, maybe you want to think about the things that are holding you back or the things that Christ is asking you to do. And you can pray with the person sitting next to you. As Ron said this morning, all Christians are in the prayer ministry business. Or you maybe just want to go and talk it through with somebody and one or two of the prayer ministry team will just go over to the corner and be there if you want to talk that through. What transformation are you going to have to help make happen this week? For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviourssunbury.org.uk.